Simon. Hello. Hey, Simon. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Simon. Simon. It's Skyler. How hey, you doing? Simon. Hello, Simon. What's up, Simon? Hello. How you doing? Hey. Hello. Hey there. Simon. Simon. Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. This is Conversations with Storytellers, a podcast of wisdom, thoughts, and folk and fairy tales from our elders. And I am your host, Simon Brooks, a meeting with professional storytellers. This episode contains some very graphic detail regarding slavery. Some of this will be triggering and upsetting. Antonio Hosher, who I am in conversation with, is of African and Portuguese heritage. Where it gets really bad, I have added another warning. I am very fortunate to say that Antonio Hosher and I are good friends. We both tell folk and fairy tales, and Antonio also tells a number of personal stories which are both funny and poignant. He also spent the beginning of COVID creating an historical piece on a ship which became a slave ship called the Malaga. This true story is woven into Antonio's life. As the ship was built in Maine, where Antonio now lives, and travelled to Brazil, where Antonio was born and raised. This was one of the most enlightening and hardest conversations I have had on this series so far. The interview, taking place in Antonio's living room, talks about the slave trade, and how Antonio came to creating the story of the slave ship Malaga. This is a deep conversation, and tackles some hard facts, and some might find this episode, as I have already mentioned, triggering and upsetting. Welcome, Antonio Hosher. I'm sitting in a living room in Grey, Maine, which is about half an hour's drive from Portland on the coast. And the house I'm sitting in belongs to Antonio Hosher. Now, Antonio comes from Brazil, one of the hottest places on the planet, but he has made his home here in Maine, United States of America, one of the coldest places. That's right. <laughs> and we're here today to talk about um, a production, not really, a, pro- a story, a true story, an historical story about a ship called Malaga. That's right. And it's a slave ship. Yes, it was used in various um, ways, and then it found itself in the slave trade. Right. Yeah. Um, the ship was built in 1832. Okay. Just about 40 minutes from here. Well, wow. 45 minutes. Um, in um, off of a town called Brunswick. Okay. And um, so the ship was built in 1832, and Slavery was still legal. Right. So the ship was used right away to haul uh, products that were created by the slave um, industry. Right. So sugar and Sugar, tobacco. um, um, Well, it started with sugar. Right. The whole slave thing started with sugar. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sugar was a very... um, um, expensive commodity, right. you know, in the 1400s, just to give a, a perspective, in the 1400s, this is before the American slavery started, right? right? Um, a human being, 
uh, consumed in six months the amount of sugar it's in a soda can today. Wow. <laughs> so it took them six months to, to consume the amount of sugar, sugar we drink in five minutes, right? Yeah, if um, right, yeah. You know, then they brought the sugar plantations, they started the sugar plantations and they tried with with the natives. Right. But the natives could escape and go hide. Right. Right? Because um, they knew the land. Right. Very well. Uh, this is just one of the details. This is not the detail, but... Um, yeah, right. and, and not to... to uh, under mine you know the natives would, would escape right they tried slavery with the slave with the native first but they would escape but they were still obliterated in brazil for example when the portuguese arrived there in 1500 mm -hmm. and this is stuff that i learned this is information i i learned reading laurentino gomez slavery it's called the the his trilogy uh, is called slavery there are about three to four million natives in what is known as Brazil today, when the Portuguese arrived there. Mm -hmm. okay. The first account of slavery was actually a ship that left Brazil in 1511 for Portugal with, uh, with, uh, with jaguar skins, parrots, Brazil wood, mm -hmm. and a group of natives who were auctioned off into slavery in Portugal. Okay. So that's the first registered uh, transatlantic shipment of slaves was actually from Brazil to Portugal with natives. And then they, when they started to bring in the Africans, they kept on killing Native Americans, Native Brazilians, you know, they're Native Americans because it's all the Americas, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it was about a million per century. A million per century. Holy. So in 300 years, okay, you can understand how, how the population dropped down from three to four million. In 300 years, it dropped down to about 700,000. Okay, and of, of um, native and, and and yes, native South Americans in in what is called Brazil, and the majority of the death was caused by disease. It was caused by weapon and and warfare as well. Right. Right. But most of it was disease that the Europeans brought that was not known, you know, to to South to to the natives. Right. To so the one million per century. Wow. One million indigenous each a hundred years. Uh, so, yeah. So it was genocide on all f yeah. fronts. Yeah. On all fronts. And then they start to bring in Africans and strip them of their culture, of their names, and isolate them f from everything they knew mm -hmm. as a way of, it was really like, a, you know, warfare type of tactics you know strip yeah. of your identity and build a new one and so malaga was created in 1832 so it was already illegal to bring to traffic humans from africa to the americas brazil continued okay. the trafficking and it was illegal to transport them but there was always a way 
around right. it right. Uh, because um, the 1800s, which was the last century, the last period of the last push, slavery was the number one industry in the world. Holy cow. In the 1800s. Wow. Brazil's number one crop in the 1800s was coffee. Right. So Brazil was exporting coffee and importing slave ships. And slave ships, since it was already illegal mm -hmm. to build them, they were any ship that you could get a hold of became a slave ship. So Malaga was not a big ship at all. It was only 183 tons. It was an 183-ton brig. Mm -hmm. You know, Amistad was also not a very big ship. You know, right, right. Amistad came to Portland a long time ago. It was either Amistad, the ship itself, or a, a lookalike, okay. something like that. But I looked at it. I was like, wow, that's a small ship. Right. You know, you think you're going to look at something huge. huge. But, but uh, they were trying to get a hold of anything. Uh, because it was prohibited, but the slavery was still going on in the Americas. Right. Right? This is the early 1800s. Right. So anybody who built ships, those ships ended up almost thousands of ships were used in the legal trade in the 1800s. So, and, and nobody wanted to give away the number one industry. It was the number one. This is not something I'm making it up. I'm not right. exaggerating it. This is a historical fact. In the 1800s, slavery was the number one industry and it supplied, it was the tip of the iceberg of many other industries. Insurance, boat building, water supply, resu water resupply, uh, um, maintenance, um, you name it. You know, it was... Touched, uh, it touched a lot of places. It touched many Everything. other industries, yeah, right? right. Um, so Malaga came to me four years ago, and um, it was Daniel Minter. Daniel Minter is a stellar visual artist, and he is the artistic director of the Indigo Arts Alliance Okay. in well, Portland. Uh, okay, all right. Thank it's an arts alliance that promotes and supports uh, uh, black and brown art in Maine. Okay. And, and it's located in Portland, Maine. So he knew of my storytelling. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting how this story came because for many years, I've been wanting to tell a ship story. One day I woke up and I'm like, I don't tell any story about ships. I have stories about flying. I have stories about trains. I'm like... How about a nice ship? Because with my mind background, mm -hmm. it's really fun to do a ship, you know, moving across oceans and, and wind and this and that. And I'm like, it's a great movement, mime-oriented um, object, you know, the, the, the ship itself. Right. But I didn't want to... The, the thought of creating a slave ship story... Uh, uh, and tell it, it never crossed my mind because it was a subject matter that I was always avoiding. You know, it's part of my heritage. Right. I am um, part European and part African in heritage, born and raised in Brazil. But, um, but I have Portuguese, Swiss, German blood from my mother's side right. and African from my father's side. 
So, um, but I've always been nervous about the story, uh, uh, talking about slavery. And I've always told myself, you, just by being on stage, you, di- you bring in enough diversity. You don't need to talk about slavery. Just, you know, other people are doing a great job with it. Just let it be. Uh, but uh, it, that was myself trying to pacify a fear I had right. of the subject. Okay. I had no idea where I came from in Africa. There's, you know, because the history was erased. You arrived in the Americas as a black person. You know, they, they cut your hair. They, they put the slave owner's name as your surname. Right. right? As yeah. your last name. So my Vieira, it's a Portuguese name. My father was Vieira. Vieira is not an African name. It's a Portuguese name. Right, right. Um, so there was always this fog. I was this black cloud. And then one, and I'm like, I want to do a ship story. Maybe there's a fun pirate story I can tell. Yeah, I even thought that. (laughs) I even thought about that. That's how, that's how I was blocking it. Yeah. And then Daniel Minter said, "Hey, have you heard that a lot of the ships built in Maine ended up in the slave trade?" I'm like, "No." So like, there's one in particular that goes to Brazil called the Malaga ship. And you know, I, I. and he goes, you know, I think it would be something for you to look into. And I'm like, really? There's a slave ship called Malaga that goes to Brazil? He goes, mm-hmm. yeah. And he goes, talk to Kate McMahon. Kate McMahon is a scholar from Maine who works for the Smithsonian uh, Museum of African American Culture. Okay. Um, history and Culture. Okay. It's the oldest, the, the newest museum. Okay, all right. Uh, in the in the mall there in DC, and um, so I I connected with her. We did a Zoom four years ago. If it was Zoom, it was already during COVID. Okay. Because I started to use Zoom only after that first year of COVID. Oh, I started. Okay. So if I did a Zoom with Kate, it was 2020, because mm. the the story was premiered in 2021. So it was so 20. You, you didn't spend much. That was quick. Well, it was a year. Right. Um, but thanks to her, because what she did is we did the Zoom. Right. And she told me more or less the story of the ship. There's actually the Malaga ship. There's the porpoise that came out of the same shipyard that went to Brazil as well. A lot of ships went to Brazil for me. Okay. There was actually an American company called Wright & Company. Right with a W, Right and Company. Right. They would import coffee and supply ships to Brazil in the 1800s. They were brokers. Okay. Right? And so, so she tells me, and she goes, and I did a whole PhD thesis on this, on the New England involvement mm-hmm. in slavery. Wow. Uh, and she said, I will send you the PDF of my uh, dissertation. Use it as you please. Ooh. That's nice. Amazing. That's a Kate, huge source. Kate was amazing. Um, so I go through her PhD dissertation. And it, it was good because it gave me the um, time frame. Okay. Right? Malaga is built 1832. Starts sailing on the East Coast. Shipping products made by slavery. Right? Right. The cottons of the south kept the looms of the north moving. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, everybody benefited from it. It was yeah. the status quo. Right. It was the biggest industry. 
right. uh, um, for that last century especially. So long story short, Kate gives me the PhD thesis. I read, I, I get the dates, I get the names, you know, the trafficker in Brazil that, that refitted Malaga to start bringing slaves to Brazil illegally. Right. A man called uh, Manuel Pinto da Fonseca, that's Portuguese. Manuel, basically, um, it's a very common name in Portugal. My grandfather, my maternal grandfather was called Manuel. Okay. I have a cousin called Manuel. Um, and Fonseca is the name of a neighborhood I, I lived for four years in Brazil, in Rio. So, so the, then I started to see the personal in the historical, right? So the name of your, the area that you, you spent four years of your life in, was it named after the... No, but it's named after, the, it's, it's a big family, right? Okay. But I saw that as, as, as a huge coincidence. Right. And you a know, it's, it's like, oh my goodness, the guy who, who um, chartered Malaga for this nitty-gritty work. Right. His last name is the name of a neighborhood I lived. Malaga sails into Rio, a place where I grew up. I'm from Brazil. I came to Maine. Maine uh, Malaga is from Maine, went to Brazil. So I started to see this crossroads of coincidences right. of our trajectory. And Malaga comes from the woods of Maine from the interior and it's sold into the slave trade. The slaves came from the interior, some of them towards the end, they were coming from the interior of Africa, sold into the slaves. So there are all these parallels going on. And I said, my goodness, this is not just a historical story, it's a personal story as well. As luck has it, uh, as I am reading her PhD, I am getting acquainted with this man called Laurentino Gomes. He's a Brazilian author, mm -hmm. bestseller of three historical books on Brazilian history. And then I'm watching his interviews online in Portuguese. And, um, and he, he said, I wrote three books about Brazilian history and they became bestsellers. He got a, a slew of awards for how he wrote the story, you know, the, the his narrative is it's so like you have a hard time putting the book down. Yeah, okay. He's, you know, being a journalist, he said that's what I wanted people to not be able to put the book down. So he designed the story. He didn't change history, but he tells it in a way that you you have a hard time putting the book down. Right. It's not like listening to a history lecture. No, like, no, blah, no, blah, no. Blah, no. Blah, he blah. puts in a lot of interesting details um, and um, stuff that you I never knew about. But I did not read these three bestsellers. I'm listening to him, mm -hmm. and he says, I cannot write three bestsellers about um, uh, Brazilian history without dedicating three more volumes on slavery alone. Wow. And I'm like, whoa. So he, he was publishing one book per year on slavery. They're like thick books, like 500 pages. Wow, okay. Plus right. books on, on, on starting with a general idea of how it started, and then focusing on Brazil, because Brazil uh, had almost half of the slaves went to Brazil in those 350 years. From Africa. From Africa, almost half goes there, 4.9 million. 
So, um, so I'm like, I'm reading these books now. Mm-hmm. I'm reading his books, and and it's giving me details about the Middle Passage. It's giving me details that I've never could have imagined, such as the sharks changing their behavior across the Atlantic to follow the ships because so many bodies were thrown overboard that the sharks changed their their migratory uh, behavior across the Atlantic and start to follow these slave ships. Yeah, that's that's nuts. Yeah, and um, it was an average of twelve in the three hundred. If you divide the number of people that were thrown overboard right. in three hundred and fifty years, it was about twelve to fifteen a day. You know, and it's it's and then I and so so I had Kate's PhD give me the dates, right, and some very important information about stops where the boat went and stuff, right. And then I had Lauro Chindo Gomez books giving me details about the Middle Passage, about Rio. Rio was the largest slave city in the Americas in the 1800s. Rio de Janeiro has a population, we say Rio de Janeiro. In Portuguese, you know, we pronounce it Rio de Janeiro. Okay. Uh, but with the American, Americans say Rio de okay. Janeiro, right? right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rio had a population in the, in 1849, Rio had a population of 206, give okay. and take, right. thousand people. Right. 206,000 people, and from those 206, 80,000 or so were slaves. Oh, that's nuts. It was the largest uh, slave city in the Americas, and they were uh, doing all very, you know, very uh, different types of jobs. Right. Uh, all the way from nursing white babies and taking care of household you know and the ladies and uh, carrying their things um you could rent a slave for example if you lived in rio as a white person mm-hmm. and but you didn't own slaves okay you just have a house and you're a bachelor mm-hmm. but you wanted to go to the theater and you wanted to look good oh you could rent two or three slaves and have an entourage of servants go to the theater with you because that made you look good. That's bonkers. That's crazy. Right? So you could do that. Yeah. There are slaves called tigers. They are nicknamed tigers, not because of their fierce strength, uh-huh. but because their black hue was discolored in stripes. They were gray. There were gray stripes on their backs and arms. You know, a lot of these men walked around. Uh, you know, shirtless, right? They're, okay. So they would, um, they had stripes. So their blackness was gone in that area. It was grayish stripes because they were the carriers of urine and feces from their masters. And they would carry these barrels filled to the brim and the, and the waste would oh. pour down the barrels and down their backs. Oh so I'm reading his books, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, nobody taught, taught us this in in, in, in school." Yeah, right. You know, you know, um, you know. They said that it was a a good thing 
for the Africans to be brought to the new world because they're savages. Now they're going to learn how to be people. They're not savages. No. These people are like, most of them were teenagers, by the way. Okay. Most of the slaves right, right, right. were because, teenagers. Because they were kids. They made more money because they were yeah, they're strong. strong. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a really expensive slave was a 12 year old boy, 12, 13 year old lad. Right? Because they would grow up to be big and strong. Yeah. So you had the longevity. Because you could work them. Right. Yeah, because yeah. people didn't live to be 60 years old. Right. Back in the 17, 1800s. Right. So a strong person was a teenager. So first of all, they are not grown men and women. They are teenagers. They are the sons and daughters of builders, architects, um, people who could make gold coins in Africa out of gold. They knew how to mine. They knew how to take care of cattle. They knew how to uh, plant and, and harvest rice. Right. And they had a lot of know-how. They're not savages. Right. Many of uh, some of them were actually as punishment sold by African kings into slavery. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. As well, everybody was involved. It was it was the status quo. Was slavery uh, in Brazil? Some black people who were freed right. from slavery right. and became, you know, because in Brazil there's um, a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of slaves were freed over right. the course of, you know, if they did something a certain way for so many years, they could get points towards their freedom. Okay. Because there are a lot of slaves coming in and they needed the young and the strong. So when you're getting to a certain age, they would work it out. Um, certain laws. Okay. Uh, uh, certain points you could get towards their freedom. So some slaves, some people, uh, some black folks who got to be somebody, quote-unquote, right. and got to make some money, they sometimes buy slaves. That's... that's. So there are black people in Brazil owning slaves. So Not a lot of people. But there, <clears throat> right, but there were some, ex-slaves who were buying slaves. Yeah, because it made them look good. Because it was so... In, and, and, um, and then there's this whole slew of, of uh, you not looking good. There's a stigma for being black. Okay. So perhaps by owning black people, you are less black. Before, okay. all right. I there's a, there's a huge Oy, psychological, um, literally like it's almost like warfare, uh, psychological warfare, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. going on. That being black was so bad that you wanted to be look like a white person. So somebody who was freed, they they, they they would try to to look as less black, even though they were black. Right, right, right. right. Um, there was a whole movement of people marrying white people okay. uh, because they didn't want to look bad. Right. And, and then the and then the, and then that goes it even into black people having prejudice over black people. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, you remind me of something I don't want to be reminded of, so I, therefore I don't want to deal with you. Yeah, okay. So there's this, it, it's, it's very so, complicated. Yeah, it is. But I'm going off, I'm going off uh, on a tangent here, uh, um, talking more about the history of overall history, but Malaga exists for 15 years. Malaga is right. born, and I tell the story from her point of view. She's the main character of the story. Right. 
So Malaga is sunk, actually. Malaga is shot and sunk, eventually, by the British. Huzzah! <laughs> yeah, because the That's British funny. were funny. Uh, at the time, the Industrial Revolution... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, let me rephrase that. Uh, the British had a very... In they had... They were playing two roles. Okay. They were importing goods from the Americas to supply the Industrial Revolution in England. Right. So and, and cotton, anything was going there, right? right. Then uh, they were patrolling to make sure nobody was trafficking slaves, slaves in the 1800s. Right. But at the same time, they are patrolling. They are also importing stuff made produced by the slaves. slaves right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's this. It, you know, the yes, yeah, the contradiction. Yeah, toma cada la. You know, there's this expression in Portuguese called toma cada la. It's like give me some, take some. Toma ca, right. take some. Dala means give some. So toma cada la. It's like okay, I'll keep a blind eye this way, and you keep a blind eye that way. You know, and uh, and it will change the flag. So a lot of the slave ships had American flags. That's right. You told me that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because the Americans were not trafficking anymore. Right. Well, quote unquote. Right. Not like the Brazilians. So a lot of Portuguese ships had American flags. They would just shift. Because then a, a ship, a British ship would see an American flag. And they'd leave it alone. Leave it alone. But it was full of, you know. Um, the conditions of of the ship mm -hmm. was something out of a horror movie. Yeah, you could smell a ship before you could see the mass of the ship poking out on in the horizon. If the wind was blowing right. towards the land, you could smell the putrid and smell uh, uh, the because um, you were talking about Everyone. hundreds of people chained to one another. Right. In places where you could not keep a, a candle lit, the lack of oxygen in the hull of a ship—you know—they were packed like sardines. They couldn't make it to a latrine to relieve themselves. So they were just defecating so it, it, where they defecating were. Defecating wherever where they were, uh, puking—you right. name it. Right? Uh, they were moving caskets. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, moving coffins. Right. Torture chambers. At least yeah. there were torture chambers because for weeks you're like that. Right. And another detail we don't think a lot sometimes is that it was not every ship that went to Africa and landed in Africa and packed the ship with humans and then left. Right. No, they went from port to port sometimes bidding, bidding on them. No, 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 I'm not paying that much for this slave, you know, and they would chain you into the hull of a ship and, and inch up the African coast. So sometimes oh you goodness. are in the ship way longer than the voyage across the Atlantic. Because oh. you, you're going up the coast or yeah. down the coast depending how where you're stopping. Right. And that could be another month. Yes, just filling in because, yeah. you know, I'll buy 10 here, 15 there, 50 here, uh, you know... A half a dozen there, and then to get to 300, 400, you know. When Malaga was caught, the last time Malaga was caught, she mm -hmm. had almost 900 people. And it was, it was only, well, it should have only fit 500. Her size would have barely fit 
500. And yet there were 800 people on board. Right, yeah. And so you can imagine the conditions. Right. So I did, I did a bit of research. You couldn't stand up on the ship. Right. Because yeah. Right, because what I found was, was that you originally, right, when they first started doing this terrible thing, they were given a space of six feet by one and a half feet. Six feet long, one and a half feet wide. And then there would be a, another person next to you. And then there'd be another person next to you, like, or wide. And behind you, and, and behind to your right, you, every, yeah, every, yeah, 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 right, right, you're right. surrounded, yeah. Right, so you've got six foot by one and a half feet, and this, but, this is, you know, a ship that may be 90 feet long, right? And then above you, uh, like three feet above you, there would be another platform with the same. Right. And then three feet above that, Another, yeah. Another. So you couldn't stand up. Right. You, could you even couldn't even sit up. Right. Depending if you're tall or not. Right. You know, depending which tribe you're coming from. If you're you know, a short if, back if, or a long back. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, my gosh. That's... And, 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 and then looking for a central character to tell the story. Right. You know, Malaga starts in Maine. Right. 1832. It's sunk by the British in 1848. Okay. I'm like, okay. So all of a sudden, I'm like, so I'm when the ship was sunk, it was off the coast of Africa, and it would have been filled with slaves. Yes, but they did not sink her with the slaves in it. They they took the slaves. They'll take the slaves out and send them back, not necessarily to where they came from, but they will send them back. So they'll, the, they'll put them back, presumably to the nearest port. Right? Yes, yeah. and then and then they would send Malaga back to North America and Malaga would end up back in Brazil and then Malaga would start all over again get caught again eventually the slaves would be taken out of her hall and yeah. then she would be, go back to so wow. it's, yeah and change names and change flags and change this and change that and then finally they shot her and sunk her right yeah that was in the late uh, uh, 1840s 1848 so the story goes for about 40 minutes mm -hmm. when I do it for public shows. Mm -hmm. In schools, I try to go a little shorter so that the kids have more time to ask questions afterwards. Right. You know, so, and I tell, f the it's from the point of view of the boat. The ship, yeah. The ship tells, so I, I, I... How did you come up with that idea of like telling it from the point of view of the ship? Because I needed a central character that would carry the story all the way to the end. And the only right. one carrying the story all the way to the end of the ship was the ship itself. Right, because the captain's changed and... Yes, the captain's changed, yeah. the ship's name changed, the situation's changed. Right, right. And I'm like, so she is uh, the main character. Right. And, then, and then to create the main character, to allow her to talk, I needed to create a folk tale like opening to the story. So the story starts with a rite of passage ritual for the trees in Maine. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. So some trees will become a church. Some right. trees will become a schoolhouse. Some trees will become a neighborhood. And Grandmother Pine looks upon them and she's the, she can see the future, Grandmother Pine. And then Grandmother Pine said, oh, I see a, an amazing future for you. You're gonna travel. You're gonna be a vessel. You're gonna be a ship. And you're going to travel the seas of green, the seas of blue. And then she pauses and she looks very perturbed. She said, I see a lot of red too. I, d I don't know what that is. Ah, oh, don't bother. You'll find out. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So that's how I said the story, right? right. And then she's, 
ships come ships starts to travel right. and but before that you make the ship and there's an incredible yeah i do a mine mine yes i start to 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 build the ship and turning do yeah, i do a, you do a, a 360, 360 right. to show time going by and, and it's also uh, showing the building of the ship. Yes, the mine, you pulling do, ropes right, and pulling ropes, sawing, sawing and, and hammering. Right, and, yeah. And um, so effective. Um, so how did how did that? So you you say that you took this piece from an earlier piece? Yes, I do a mine piece called the Flight of Icarus. So when the wing is being built, mm -hmm. the wings that Icarus and his father, because Icarus does not build the wings. No, his father does. His father does, right. deadless. And and so I I do this three sixty and he's he's picking up the wax and, and the feathers and doing all that. And so I said I'm gonna do the passage of time by doing all these movement for the Malaga. For the Malaga, yeah. For Icarus is feathers, feathers and wax and this and that, right? Okay. Wow. So I'm like, I'm gonna employ that technique. To do the three, so I do turn my body so people listening can understand. The three sixties, I turn my body three sixty uninterruptedly. Uh, uh, you know, I just yeah. go to 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 turning, and when I face the audience again, the ship is built. The ship is built. So that's the beginning, and I sing a song as I'm doing it. Lumberjack, lumberjack, lumber Peter, did, Matthew too. Where did that song come from? That came from the ship. Uh, I, <laughs> This sounds like kind of, you know, uh, kumbaya, you know, thing. But <laughs> a lot of the ideas I had for this this story mm -hmm. came fully, I call them uploaded. They're uploaded into my conscious fully. I was driving to Indigo Arts Alliance right. where I was in residency for a month. I was an artist in residence in September, October of 2021 that's where i was building the story okay i was so researching and rehearsing and also i was mentoring another artist i was a mentor to an artist okay and also building uh, creating the ship right. and i was driving to indigo like i did every morning right. for a month that right. i was there this is during covid right. another amazing thing that happened i had the, i had the month to do it I wasn't on the road, right. so I had a month to do this. And I was on the ramp, going onto the highway, right. on the ramp. And by the time I entered the ramp and I exited the ramp, I had the whole song. And um, That's so cool. Yeah. I love that one. So I do, I, yeah, yeah, magic. So I do, yeah. you know, Lumberjack, Lumberjack, Lumber Peter Matthew too, Lumber flowing down the river to the bay. You know, so that scent, that, that, phrase there lumber flowing down the river to the bay shows the movement of the trunks flowing down right. the penobscot river the kennebec river in maine that coming in from the interior and bringing in the lumber to the bay to the shipbuilding you Some know shipyards, which was yeah. the the shipbuilding yards were all over maine so i added that sentence all driving to rehearsal wow. and then when i got to rehearsal i sing it again and again so I decided to add Abenaki, which are the native people, right. who are also involved. You know, the, 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 uh, uh, a, a lot of things that people don't understand is that Maine was very diverse back in the day. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of black people in Maine, right? Uh, and they found ra uh, refuge in the maritime industry. Okay. 
uh, uh, they would go out fishing. They would build the ships. There were black people building the ships side, side by side with white people and native people. And, um, and uh, a lot of the slave ships, some of the crew were black. They were slaves on the ship. Right. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's it's mind-boggling, and it um, uh, so I tell. And so my idea to have Malaga was another idea I had. This was a conscious. It was not uploaded. This was a strategic idea. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell the audience the most disturbing parts of the Middle Passage. I didn't want to tell the audience like we would tell as storytellers. Right. And this happened and that happened and and that's what happened. I I wanted to distance the audience a little bit. I want them to uh not to hear directly from me. Oh, okay. On stage? Right. I said, "How do I deliver the really horrific details of the middle passage to the audience without looking at the audience?" So in one point in the story, Malaga can hear me. Because I let Malaga lose. There are two or three points, aren't there? Yes. There's, so I'm like... One at the beginning, one in the middle passage, and then another part at the end. When she's about to be right. sunk, right? right? So Malaga, I will say, and Malaga arrived at this place, and I will talk about what, what happened. Right. And I just leave the boat alone. And then I turn to the audience and go, hey, I don't know about you, but I miss Malaga. I wonder where she's up to. to. Right, right, so I go yeah. and say, Malaga. And at one point, she's like, Malaga, who calls my name? And I'm like, whoa, you can hear Malaga? When I say Malaga, you hear me? And then, and then Malaga goes, and I change my arm position so people know when I'm the ship and when I am Antonio. Right. The story. And Malaga goes, who said Malaga? Can you hear me, Malaga? I'm like, I'm a storyteller. I'm telling you a story here. It's 2023. I'm in a school, whatever I am, I say, I am right. in this building. Right. And she goes, I don't understand 2023. What do you mean by that? And, and I go, oh, it's just a year. Um, I'm telling a story. And then she goes, oh, you're, you're a storyteller. My grandmother was a storyteller. Grandmother Pine was a storyteller. And, and she told me there was going to be sea of red. I'm not understanding. There's a lot of red around me. What's going on here? So I tell her what's going on she doesn't know what's going on she's confused right because she's sold into slavery so she's confused like what the heck is going on why is this moaning and these people are chained up what are they doing to them and i'm like oh you're a slave ship now because the last time we've seen malaga she was not right she was just moving cotton and tobacco up and down the east coast right i'm like oh you're a slave ship now malaga that's the, the, the red you see are the sharks. And then I tell her right. with my face turned slightly sideways as I am seeing her. Right. And then she goes, what? What, is, what do you mean? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, why so- they don't revolt? And I go, oh, they do revolt. There have been some recorded revolts. Uh, um, and, and, um, but three percent i worked it out <laughs> yeah and then she, and so the numbers start to come out right. and the audience is just watching this dialogue between myself the storyteller oh, and sh- malaga the character right like you do in a folk tale right. right so malaga speaks and then malaga at the end she wants to be the storyteller 
I surrendered the story to her. Yeah. She, she asks for it. Right. She's like, look, here I am again. You know, here we are talking again. And I've seen a lot. I even have learned some Portuguese. And she says, I'm a slave ship. I'm a sou navio negreiro. I say in Portuguese. She says in Portuguese. Right. I learned how to say who I am in Portuguese. So I've seen enough. You know, I can see far from up here. Because she's the whole ship, right? So right, she can right. see from the crow's nest. Crow's nest. Yeah. She's, like, she's like, can you just surrender the story? Can I just finish this? Oh. It always gets me when, um, when she asks to uh, tell the story. And I think what it is, is the, um, the subtext there is, is the, um, the subtext of her asking to tell her own story is the inability of the black people being unable to tell their own stories, right? Yeah, and it's also her claiming, um, claiming herself. Herself. Right. Yeah. So there's and, a, and the so horrible, the, the, horrible the, the thing that that was totally out of her control. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and she's and, and, and resigns, she, to and it. she is the parallel. Right. So yeah. so it's a, it became. I, I didn't think about it intellectually. This this strategy of having having her tell the story mm-hmm. as the people listening to her story, they feel sorry for the ship. Right. So the underlying messages if you can feel sorry for an inanimate object then you should how about the slaves themselves and when she's like oh here here's the british here the and then she goes on for quite a while on a monologue about what she has learned which is all new information for the uh, audience and then she sees a british ship and it's like oh here we go again they're going to take them out and, and, and send me back to North America. They're going to take them off. Oh, they're carrying them off. Oh, some of them did not make it, you know. So I, I'm, just, I'm broadcasting from the ships, you know, the ship is telling. Yeah. They're removing, you know. And then she said, okay, now I'm going to go. And then she stops. And I go, whoa, 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 they're pointing cannons. They're pointing cannons at me. They've never done this. Oh, you storyteller, you knew this, huh? <laughs> and yeah. that's the last she says. Yeah. You knew about this. You kept it quiet. She goes like that. But there's, there are also points in the story where she asks you to change the story. Yes, that's uh, that, that yeah. Is... That's uh, she wants me to change the story because Grandmother Pine, yeah. when stories got too scary for us. She would, she would change the story, and right. she, and uh, and she asks, she says, "Can you change the story?" And I said, "No, I can't tell. I can't change the story. It already, it yeah. already happened." Yeah. And, and that's a that's a powerful point of the story. Yeah, that happens uh, early on. Yeah, when she's first when she realizes understanding what's going yeah. on, she's like, "Change the story. Sink me. Can yeah. you sink? Me? If you can't change the story, sink it. Right. Sink me. You know, mm, can't do that either. Right? Not yet." <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but I can't yeah. do it, right? Right. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. but I don't tell her she's gonna sink. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, go back to the whole process yes. of the creation of the story itself. Um, you had the information that was given to you. 
you read a lot. I read a lot. I read a lot. I you read the dissertation. I read the three volumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then I'm like, what goes into the show? What doesn't go? Because one of the things I hated about history mm-hmm. was the overwhelming number of dates. Yeah. And I'm like, when I'm doing a historical piece, I don't want to overwhelm the, the audience with numbers. Right. Because it's, it's mind-boggling. So I want to do some numbers so they know some dates. I want to, you know, it's important for them to know the number of slaves, the date Malaga was created, the date Malaga sank, how many people at this date, when she gets to Rio, um, how many people lived in Rio at the time. You know, I want to give them. But I didn't want to overwhelm them with dates. Yeah. And I didn't want the story to last an hour and a half either. Right. So some of the facts, some of the facts that you share on during the story is that there there were thirty six thousand trips, trips. thirty six thousand trip recorded trips. That is yes, from right. so there were, from from uh, fifteen hundred and so uh-huh. uh, to about eighteen sixties, eighteen sixties, yeah, and, and of those. 36,000 trips, there were only 300 revolts. 600 revolts, recorded revolts. Was it 600? Yes. Okay, all right. 600. Uh, about 25 along the American coast. Right. The others closer to uh, Africa. And um, and I say, you know... Uh, so uh, how did they revolt? I mean, they were all chained up. Yes. They were brought up to for meals and oh. to check up to see how they were doing health wise and stuff they were they were, um brought up on deck okay so most of the revolts happened um um near the coast they could still see africa okay and they'll revolt and sail the ship back to find a way to bring the ship back even though a lot of them did not have the know-how but they would just do it hold somebody at yeah. gunpoint whatever yeah but the revolts would happen because, um, you know, there are a lot of them. And if they found a way to, to grab somebody to do something, they, they revolted. Right. You know, um, there are many different ways of, of doing that. I don't know it in detail. Right. You know, but um, the, the, the Amistad, there was a revolt. They, they, they freed themselves enough to overcome them. To overcome them. Right. right? right. Um, if they if they sensed a revolt turning, if they sensed some danger, um, the crew mm-hmm. they would decapitate one of them, one of the slaves, and hoist it up while they're still in port. Sometimes, because remember they would kind of just go port by port right. buying slaves. So if they sensed danger, um, they would uh, hoist up somebody headless up. And, and bring other ships to see the body because a lot of them believe that once your head is lost, your soul would be lost forever. Oh, my gosh. So they did that. Holy cow. So they did that to, um, to tame, right. to keep them under fear. Right. Of, uh, because one thing was to die. Worse than dying was to have your head cut off. For not all the tribes believed in that, but some of the tribes that they were uh, had that belief system, right? Wow. 
So that that makes me think of another story, which comes from Africa: the severed head. Well, I'm, I'm, it's a it's a jump story. Oh, the talking skull. The talking skull. Yeah, yeah the talking, the talking head. Skull. When yeah, they find yeah. a, to- a yeah, head yeah, 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 on yeah. a tree stump, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, who did this to you?" So yeah, yeah. that adds backstory to that. Well, it, yeah, yeah, I think because that would be the worst kind of it's, it's, yes situation. Yeah, of course. yeah, that's in, yeah, yeah, yeah. There could wow. be a connection there. Yeah. There could be. I'm not sure, but yes, right. Um, that's yeah. The brutality of the whole thing is just. Oh, it was very brutal. Right. Very brutal. Uh, there is a huge amounts of fear, of revolt, especially after Haiti became a country. Haiti was, it was, what early late, late eighteen uh, hundreds, almost not, uh, no late seventeen hundreds, mm-hmm. when the Haitians uh, took control of of um, the slaves there. It was right after the French Revolution, oh, right? Right. And they became a free nation. They became a. They they were the first group of slaves to take control and become a independent nation. Yeah. Eighteen oh four. You see. Right. Yeah. Because the, the revolution started in seventeen ninety one. Ninety one, and right. then in eighteen oh four, the Haitians take control. Right. And. Um, it, but it did not. One thing Jeez, that, that's a long revolution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so after that, the they they they, were... they went up on punishment. Wow. Uh, all over the Americas, they were afraid that that could happen somewhere else. And there are many. There are many revolutions in Brazil. A lot of escapes, and and they became quilombos. Quilombos is a word. It's the They'll hide in 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 create small communities oh, okay. away from anybody else. They're called quilombos, and um, and uh, and the punishment went to a point that it was so severe that um, the death rate was huge. They'll beat you, and 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 you die from the consequences, and. Um, you know, you're talking about 50 slashes, 70 slashes. Yeah. And the whips were braided. Right. And there are several ends. Right. And there, each end was braided. So it would, it's, it's, it would take flesh, slice yeah. flesh yeah. off your back. Yeah. And then for fear that you'd develop an infection, they would put in, you know, pepper, salt, vinegar. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, uh, so that's the story. That's the story. It's... um. In my opinion, I can only speak for myself because I know my repertoire. Right. And, and I, I know for all these 30 years, I've been telling stories, uh, 20 plus years now. I started in as uh, speaking because I was doing mind stories before. Right. Right. And I've been doing that for over 34 years. Okay. But when I start gathering repertoire that was spoken... This is my most important piece. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. There's no doubt about it. Um, Poetically, very poetically, uh, um, uh, in its delivery, uh, and there's a lot of pathos, Mm. you know, the ship telling the story, the sound effects um, I create, and um, the movement of the ship, the creation of the ship, 
the moaning and the crying of the slaves, the uh, all the historical, um, yeah, and she is um, she's quite the character. She is, and uh, she's an amazing character. It's exciting, and I appreciate you spending time creating this podcast. Ah, no, when I when when I heard, you know, when you first started telling myself and a few other close colleagues of ours what you were doing the first thing that I thought was when this is done we need to sit down and talk about the whole process <laughs> yeah you told me that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that, it's, it's such an important story to be told I yeah. think and it was a very cathartic process because it's my first slave piece right I really had to face my fears right I did my DNA, my patriarchal African ancestry mm -hmm. DNA, and I come from the Kota and the Benga people located in today Gabon. So that's where my folks come from. Wow. My slave ancestry. And for those, those that don't know the geography of Africa? That's West Africa. It's right there. You know, there's the West Africa. Right. The big bump that sticks out. That sticks west uh, west into right. the Atlantic. Right. And then it kind of goes in. Right. Right there by uh, Cameroon. Right. And then, then uh, you have um, Gabon. It's soon after there. Okay. On West Africa. So if, if we compare it... Center. It would be the northeast of Brazil right. area. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so you can see how... Yeah. So that's where I come from. So this sh this ship story has been amazing. It, uh, creating it, it was, it was mind-boggling. The amount of fear I had to overcome and anger. Yeah. The anger that surfaced, yeah. it was... It was uh, uh, beyond me anger it was ancestral right it was ancestral it was stuff that is that had been bottled up in me that was not just from my birth to now but from your ancestors my ancestors yeah and and uh and and it's interesting how i became a much calmer person after this story was premiered um, I, I don't get worked up. I used to get very worked up very easily about stuff. Um, uh, not in public, right. you know, um, but, uh, and even my wife says, you know, you've become a much more like relaxed person after uh, 2018, actually. 2018, I started to deal with my fear in a way I had never dealt before. Right. And, so I had some uh, issues with fear and anxiety, and it was all in preparations to start creating the story. If I hadn't cleaned that slate, right. I wouldn't have had the wherewithal to even tackle the story, let alone right. tell yeah. it. Right. So it, so it was eight, 19, uh, 2018, 2019, I started to like, okay, I want to tell a story about a ship, right? right? And then the story lands on my lap in 2020, 2021, I premiere it, and then I get booked by Portland Novations, which has been godsend. Portland Novations, the premier performing art organization in Portland. Right. They big, What's, they bring big shows, Broadway shows. You know, they are now. It's probably with, one of the premier event um, venues in Maine, isn't it? 
organizations yeah, yeah they yeah. yeah they bring broadway shows and musicals and dance companies and all right and but they have a new, uh, they have a um educational department right that brings shows to schools and brings schools to shows so malaga is being offered this year and i've got a ton of bookings through them and one which blew me away you can't make this stuff up there's a church in brunswick where the boat was built, right. that the people, the leaders of the church, start to discover that the, one of the founders of the church was also involved with slavery, building slave ships. And one of them was called Malaga. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so they start to research the involvement of Joseph Badger of right. Brunswick, Maine, with slavery, and they come up on the page of Portland Ovations about the Malaga show that I'm doing and they book the show and I go to the church and I tell the story in the church to a packed church they gave one of the longest standing ovations of my career and at the whole time I'm telling the story the ceiling of the nave it's a ship upside down it's the hall of a ship so you're in a church built by the guy who built Malaga and inside the ship in a way because the ceiling of the yeah. nave is the hull of a ship, wow. upside down. And uh, how did that feel? It was incredible. It was incredible. Uh, and th- th- then they donated thousands of dollars as scholarship, so I can do the story in schools uh, and offer them a scholarship for the fee. So they're fully invested in this story being told as many times as possible um, and uh, and the money has been all booked up already because people are booking and some schools they said oh that's you know can we have some funding and I'm like oh yeah we have funding for it thanks to this church um, yeah. St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Brunswick, Maine um, and so the universe is celebrating the story yeah, it is. yeah it, it's it's, yeah. it's incredible and people are not ticked off. They're not as they're not upset. I thought people were going to get upset that people are going to leave, and but they know what they're walking into. I right. don't blame anybody for it. There's no, you know, that's p- part of the show is to also um, make people understand this is what happened. Right. There's this history mm-hmm. that's being uncovered. You know that New England was not this passive slave-free. Uh, there are actually slaves here as well mm-hmm. but anyway long story short it's not about being embarrassed or being ashamed of your ancestors is understanding that this was an industry everybody was involved mm-hmm. you couldn't get away from it you couldn't get away from it there were people who were fighting against it right so you you could get away from it some people did it on purpose and they're conscious and and they're doing it because they're making money with it right but it's not because your great, 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 great somebody mm-hmm. was involved in it that you should feel embarrassed for it because you are not the one doing it. Right. But it's important that you know it happened right. so you're not in this fog right. of history that you're like, oh, no, no nothing happened. Yeah. Yes, it did happen. Yes. It and, did. It, and we should know about it so yeah. we, we, we are well-educated right. and we are not going to... Well, I think that a lot of this kind of this kind of history yeah if it's not talked about 
it festers. It festers. Right? It's like a wound. You just keep scratching at it. But when you actually say, this is what happened, then there's healing can start to take place. Absolutely. It's like and, what Germany is doing with the Holocaust, right? Right. It's part of the curriculum in schools. Right. There are museums everywhere. Right. Um, and uh, there are memorials everywhere. Mm -hmm. So the new generation of Germans, they know there are a lot of their ancestors were Nazis. Right. You know, yeah. but they're like, hey. We're not Nazis now. We're not Nazis now, and we're going to do the best we can. To uh, make sure. Uh, you know, even though there's neo-fascism yeah. everywhere in the world, but right. at least it, you know, there's, people are bringing it to light. You mm -hmm. cannot heal anything unless light comes to it. Right. Right? And it's through the cracks of history yes. and trauma yeah. that the light can come in. Right. And it's through the cracks. If there are no cracks, you can't heal. Right. So trauma is also a way to heal something deeper. Right? Because we are we are as a species we are moving towards healing. We always try to do something better, right? Although it doesn't look that way. <laughs> but uh but it, it we always there's always a group of people working it to to make things better, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And trauma happens, and you can either suffer from it, or you can use it as a tool, as, as a tool right. for healing. You know, so that I've been—I know I can speak for myself. Working on this piece and telling it has been a great healing journey for me, in a way that I couldn't—I could never have imagined. Could never have imagined. Just, just the fear that went away. It's it's incredible, wow. you know. There's always this angst. There's always this angst that I always saw it. I knew it was there, mm -hmm. and I could never do anything about it. And then it 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 dissipated, not completely, uh, but well, it wouldn't be you if you didn't have a little bit of angst. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you have, so you have a lot of. Uh, I have a different relationship with it now. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and Malaga has been a great healer and a great companion, and I'm very honored to be able to tell her story. Thank you for sharing it. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> wow, a lot to think about. Well, there is a lot to think about. I feel that I'm fairly well read about slavery. But I learn more and more with every encounter with the subject, history and heartbreak. I cannot hope that you enjoyed this episode, but I hope you were enlightened and learned from it. And maybe you want to bring Antonio to tell the slave ship Malaga in your community. It is a moving piece of art that Antonio has created. Be sure to check out other episodes. If you need a lift after this one and have not heard the conversation with Joel Ben Izzy, go and check that episode out. It's a lot of fun. You can find me and my work on Facebook, Simon Brooks Storyteller, on my website, simonbrooksstoryteller.com, and on Instagram, Simon M. Brooks. Diamond Scree? Yep, that's me, the English fella and storyteller. A shout-out goes to Chris Jed for creating and recording and letting me use this wonderful music which he created for my podcast. His band is called Blackpool Mecca. You can help this podcast keeping it alive by supporting my craft and becoming one of my Patreons 
and paying anything from a dollar for an episode you might have enjoyed to a regular monthly subscription. In return, you get extras, early releases, and exclusive content on my work. www.patreon.com forward slash Simon Brooks. If you can't join my wonderful tribe of patrons, then help me out by doing something you can do. I would be very grateful if you were to leave a review on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, wherever you found this episode. It won't take long and it helps. Not just me, but others find and enjoy this podcast. Thanks again for being here with me. I know there are a lot of other places you could be, so I appreciate it. Until next time, be healthy, be happy, and share the stories you love. Cheers. Just a story.